0: Hello, hello. Good morning. How are you doing, Rita? I'm okay. (laughs) Always having some adventures in my life, but besides that, all
1: good. (laughs) Here in Italy, when when that happens, we say, do we have
0: another question? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to avoid it, that's exactly what I need to say. Do you have another
1: question? (laughs) Sorry to hear that, but to translate it in Italian, we say, hai una domanda di riserva? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I like it.
1: So if you, if you come to Italy and you want to answer that question, oh, this is how you reply to that. But no worries, uh, we are going to talk about languages as usual, our favorite topic, I would say. <laughs> and the episode that we have today is about comprehensible input. And then, you know, we are also going to touch on the topic of the theory of desirable difficulty, Mm. which is a very complicated name, but no worries. We're going to make it very easy for you to understand. So almost as usual, I would say we are going to have a couple of sections uh, in this episode. In the section number one, we are going to talk about that exactly, comprehensible input and the theory of desirable difficulty. But in section number two, we are actually going to talk about uh, practical Uh, examples of how to make this work when learning a language and our own experience with this Mm. principle. So are you ready to start, Rita?
0: Let's do that.
1: There is no way uh, to talk about comprehensible input and not mentioning Stephen Krashen. Have you
0: ever heard of the guy? Uh, Actually, not before you prepare this episode. So yeah, I would love for you to tell us a bit more about him. So Stephen Krashen is a a
1: linguist in the academical sense of the term. Uh, I open a small parenthesis. I have found out that the word linguist uh, also means uh, one that loves languages, one that learns a lot of languages. So there Mm. is the non-academical use, which is also allowed by the English language. And I found it while editing one of our episodes. But Stephen Krashen is actually an emeritus professor of education at the University of Southern California even though he then switched faculty and he changed to the School of Education um, in 1994. So he knows all about languages and about education. I actually happened to find about him while watching the videos of Steve Kaufman. Mm -hmm. We have talked about the man in the past already, and we are going to talk about him also uh, later in this episode. And he loves, you know, this... Ah uh, principle, the principle of comprehensible input, mm-hmm. but what is comprehensible input? What does it
0: mean exactly?
1: first of all, input it means something that you listen to or read because it's input while output, for example, would be speaking. So here we are talking about reading and listening, and comprehensible it means that it has to be understandable by the the student, by the learner. Basically, it means that uh, the learner should be exposed to the language in a way that it's understandable uh, to them. And this is based on the fact that apparently acquisition occurs when learners are able to understand uh, while they have a, a harder time when there's a lot of things that they cannot understand, making the input incomprehensible.
0: So basically, if I'm an A1 in Hebrew, let's say, I need to have uh, resources that are really matching my level so that I'm able to understand basically easily what it's uh, brought to me, right? Yes, uh,
1: this is correct, uh, uh, but it's only a part of this principle, of this theory Uh, To sum it up very shortly, it basically tries to mimic how kids learn languages, which is the natural way rather than the conscious way. And it is by learning bit by bit, learning uh, drop by drop, if uh, if I'm allowed to use this expression.
0: Mm -hmm. I find it quite interesting that you're saying that it mimics... Um, children learning. We will talk about that maybe a bit later in the second section. But I disagree with that.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's debatable, and as usual, language learning is uh, a personal experience. So everyone has you know different takes on the same theories or, or or principle. But basically, another thing that Krashen says is that we should not treat language uh, as a subject like geography or philosophy. It, it's, uh, we, we can read a book about it and then we know the language, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't work like that. Language acquisition happens even unconsciously. It's it's not a subject, mm-hmm. it's a mean of communication and we should try and learn the language basically the natural way without trying to cram mm-hmm. words into our brain, but naturally words, you know, will become natural for us, will get uh, used to see those words in the context and those uh, will become more and more understandable for us, more comprehensible.
0: So, uh, Raf, tell me, what are the different applications of uh, yeah, the principle of Stephen Krashen?
1: Yeah, just to give a few examples, this comprehensible input can be used in, in a variety of ways. For example, using just one language. Uh, you can help, you know, make the input comprehensible with visuals or even gestures. There is a, a technique called total physical response, mm-hmm. where you basically uh, reply with your body to the words or the phrases that you are trying to teach. So you are helping the words with the mm-hmm. body language in a way, or also using easier or adapted vocabulary is a way to make the input comprehensible. Or if you uh, use multiple languages, for example, you can use two languages. Just an example, having a translation next to the original um, piece Mm -hmm. of content is a way to make the input comprehensible. Because if you do not speak that language at a high level, you might not be able to understand a book written in that language. But if you have the translation next to it, you can make sense of it uh, word by word.
0: I love that, actually. It reminds me when I was using, I mean, I'm sure you do maybe the same, When you watch a movie that you already watched in another language or when I use that same, like a new movie, even if I never watched or a new series um, in a language that I know, like let's say I'm listening in English because it's the original version, but I put subtitles in, I don't know, Danish or Norwegian or any other language, you know, I feel like it's helping a lot, you know, because I know what's going on, but at the same time I can read the subtitles and, you know, in a different language that I'm learning.
1: Yeah. That's, that's how it works. Just to make a super clear example, if you see a phrase uh, made of five words in a foreign language, in your case, Norwegian, uh, if you do not know any of those words, it's not comprehensible. I mean, you cannot make sense of it. Of course. Right? If, uh, uh, unless maybe you have uh, the same text in English, then you can you know, work it out in a way. Mm-hmm. If you know some of the words, it already starts being comprehensible So, for example, if you know four out of five Mm -hmm. of those words, you can use the context uh, to guess the fifth word or you can use your instinct, even your Mm -hmm. instinct to guess what the fifth word uh, means. Or the teacher can help you trying to explain what the fifth word is or can even give you just a translation. So, in this case, it's like you know four out of five of those words, so you have comprehensible input. And the fifth word is the one that you're actually going to learn. And this is how the learning happens.
0: So let's say I have a pen, a black pen in my hand. And I don't know, I, I know that I, um I know how to say I write in English. So I write with a pen and I don't know what the word like pen is. So I write with, and I can see me doing it, the action. So I guess you can guess in the context and from the other words that I know in the sentence that pen means pen, <laughs> right? Exactly. This is, uh, this sounds maybe basic. But just to give you
1: an example, maybe it's uh, not the most popular uh, language learning resource among polyglots, but Rosetta Stone, Mm -hmm. this is exactly how Rosetta Stone works. So they show you simple phrases with pictures and they introduce a new word, every new phrase or so, uh, so that you see the picture, you know most of the words and you guess the meaning of the odd word by combining your knowledge of the previous words and, you know, by looking at the Mm -hmm. picture. That's wonderful. So that fifth word you do not know actually has a name, and this name is desirable difficulty.
0: Oh, that's great. Could you please explain a bit more about the theory of desirable difficulty? Have you ever seen the, that meme uh,
1: with the dogs, you know, the nice little dog uh, learning languages at school and he's all cute and nice walking around the streets. And then you have the comparison with learning languages in the uh, real world, uh, place where it's spoken, uh-huh. in the real world with the water hose, mm-hmm. you know, shooting water inside of his mouth. That's basically the, the, the difference, right? If you are in the position of the second mm-hmm. dog... <laughs> content is too hard for you you're not at the level of difficulty you should be at so but the level should uh, shouldn't be too easy either right so uh, you should find your sweet spot over there uh, where you are basically at your level of mm-hmm. knowledge but there is a small mm-hmm. challenge so that fifth word again that challenges you to learn some more. Keep you going. Exactly. So uh, have you ever been in a position where you are you find that the, the resources that you're reading are too easy or too hard? Yeah, definitely. And it
0: gets very boring <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> I actually used to love Rosetta Stone um, because I really believe that there is um, something through in this theory and that it would work. But it just seems too slow, too boring, too... I don't know. I just. I will talk about it a bit later. I think in section two, but I need a bit more challenge, maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I can understand that. I think Rosetta Stone is uh, aimed at people who have never learned a language in their life, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it's a little bit slow for people who are used to learning multiple languages. But so you said it gets too boring too quickly. Uh, that's because it's too easy. So, of course, you lose the motivation because it's too easy. But Mm -hmm. what happens when it's too hard? When you try and read, for example, a book in a foreign language, but you aren't there yet. I love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not saying it will work for everybody else, to be honest. And I totally, um, as you said yourself in the beginning, I'm not saying that everybody should be doing that because what is the most important, I think, the, the core, like the problem there is that you need to keep your motivation going, right? So if this little challenge could help you and you can be, you know, you keep yourself accountable of the number of words you are learning. for example, you feel more comfortable if this helps you with your confidence to, to later be able to speak, you know, and have some output, that's great. In my case, since I don't always learn all the languages, as I said, just to speak to people. Of course it is at the end, like the, but I could just do it for fun for myself. I really love to have a book or something, or even watch a TV series or whatever. And I'm fine with not understanding everything. I feel like, and we can talk about it a bit maybe later in section two, I need that so that I have more like opportunities um, to, you know, have more Words that I can learn—it's kind of like a natural SRS SRS system, you know, for me, like to repeat, 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 but in such a bigger scale that I feel like my brain is getting so much information at the same time. I'm thrilled, you know, and I love not being able to understand actually. So, yeah, personally for me,
1: instead, uh, it's—I find it frustrating when I'm learning Mm. a language and I find that I'm reading a text or listening to a podcast maybe and i can understand only like 20 25% it's so frustrating for me mm-hmm. and frustration is your enemy when learning a language definitely this means that you should uh, go down a level or two to mm-hmm. find your the right level for you which is your current level where you can understand most of it where you can understand maybe 80 in 90% mm-hmm. and you know guess or you know use comprehensible inputs to understand the remaining uh, Parts. It's it's like weightlifting in a mm-hmm. way. You you wouldn't go and lift you know 100 kilos all of a sudden. Uh, you start by you know you start small. You you start lifting 10 kilos. Then if you can do that, you add some more and more and more until maybe finally you reach 100. But you mm-hmm. wouldn't start from there, or you wouldn't start from zero maybe.
0: But I'll disagree with that because I feel like you have in comparison with something that physically we need like time to process. And I think our brain is capable of more of that. I think really what you said is I would not advise anybody to do it if they don't feel comfortable. If you feel frustrated, that's definitely not like a good thing. I feel like also if you just started learning a new language, a foreign language, and it's the first time, Definitely don't do that because you'll just leave it and you'll stop. But if you're somebody who loves learning languages, you're a language enthusiast, and you like having so much input and so many things, you could learn so much of it because you said it yourself. the Communication, which is the whole experience, you know that you have. Even if you're not communicating, still you just want to get input and you just want to listen. You want to do actually like a child. We said like children learn like. Maybe 90% they understand and then the rest they don't. That's not true, they actually. Their brain do the job for them unconsciously, you know, and they just get away what they don't need because they are not, they don't already have patterns. So they're like, okay, I'm just taking whatever I know. Like my mother said, I don't know, milk? I know milk, you know? or And then I keep on recognizing that word. And if there is another one that comes with it, it's fine. But if it's just nineteen and 20, it's so boring. (laughs) I can't, I need more. But again, as you said, this is not, that is like, it's not a black and white situation. It's just that go, like, I I love your, your advice on you have to tailor it. You have to find the balance where you feel the most comfortable, you know? And if it's just starting at your level, that's really cool. But again, how would you advise our listeners to like, to find their level? Do they have to have a test or something? So where do you start? It is a good idea to to
1: do a few online tests to understand your level and then look for content at that level. But it's also something that happens naturally. I mean, if you are reading a text and it's too boring because you understand everything very easily, that means that the level is too low. You have to raise the level of your uh, input. On the other side, if you read the text... And you find yourself looking for words in the dictionary, every single word mm-hmm. or most of the words. that means that that input, that content is too hard for you. So you have to naturally accept that that is not your level yet. So <laughs> go back a level or two. Um, so I I think that the brain works like a muscle uh, when it comes to language learning. And this, I seem to understand, is something where we disagree. Uh, but So I haven't convinced you yet, but I'm going to give you another <laughs> example. <laughs>
0: <laughs> tell me. So,
1: so, suppose you meet fifty new people mm-hmm. all at once, and mm-hmm. everyone shakes, uh, you know, their hands, and they give you, they tell you their name. Uh, is it going to be easy for you to remember all fifty
0: names? I would remember something specific about them because, again, what we want, I think, and what we do wrong in the sense is that we want to keep all the information at once. What I'm like comfortable doing is just get in what I can. I think, I mean, I admire you and all the people who have the patience to go through all the resources that would fit them. I feel like it's kind of a waste of time in my and my energy, personally, and I would love just to get any anything that is in front of me, and get whatever I can from it, you know? It doesn't mean that I will keep everything from it. So if I meet those 50 people, it happens, I was recently in Mexico, so we met a lot of people, said hi, we had those games and activities, that were really cool. Of course, I didn't remember everybody at once, but I remembered some specific things about some of them because we shared something in common. We used our hands, We, I can get something else that wasn't going through words only, you know? And I feel like this is the most natural thing for my brain to do. Again, my brain.
1: <laughs> but probably you didn't remember the names of everybody at the end of the day.
0: This actually, is, this... I did. <laughs> <laughs> You're amazing, Rita. <laughs> I know I'm amazing. No, I'm really bad at names, uh, usually. But um, I think it's just the experience was really great. And we, we spoke a lot, actually. So you see, this is another thing that is interesting. It's not like you do it at once. You have to be... You You repeat it, you know? You have to be doing that often and naturally. But, you know, I, I, as I said, I don't think we will agree at the end of this episode, but <laughs> I, I, I really, really uh, think it's a really good advice you're given to people who are starting um, because we often see that, uh, that people are overwhelmed with resources, are overwhelmed with a lot of content, overwhelmed with different things. And at the end of the day, they just drop learning the language and that's not what we want. So I feel like it's safer way to do things it's effective there is nobody who's like disagreeing with that i think that if you take the time really to learn in context and feel have a little challenge but at the same time you have a lot of other things that you can review that you know already in different contexts it can't hurt you it's a really good thing it just in my case i feel like i need more challenge than that i haven't convinced you so (laughs) probably
1: i will never convince you about that but just to to wrap it up you know with this example mm-hmm. i think that when you are presented with 15 new people and everyone tells you their name it's a waste of time trying to remember everyone's name mm-hmm. uh, all at once but naturally you will bond with some people on mm-hmm. day 1 for example and mm-hmm. you will start remembering those names then on the second day you will probably hang out with the same bunch of people and a few more and it's going to be easy for you to remember the name of these last Bunch of people. So it will, you know, the knowledge of your names uh, of everyone in this group will naturally and gradually expand until after some time you will probably know the names of all 50. This is, you know, this gradual uh, adding new words or new names in this example is exactly what comprehensible input is all Mm -hmm. about. But I guess it's time for us to go to more practical language learning (laughs) examples.
0: Let's do that.
1: So Rita, do you know any example of, you know, resources that make use of uh, comprehensible input?
0: Well, there is one that you love in particular. I mean, you have been talking about Steve Kaufman. I think uh, there's nobody better than you to explain what it is because I use it very quickly. So I'm not able to really talk about it extensively.
1: Yes, I think Link is probably the only app that uh, works when it comes to language learning, at least for me. The 3D is that every resource, in a way or another, can help you. But I find myself using it again and again because it's all based on comprehensible input. So it's basically a platform, but also an app, where you have uh, texts and audios. So input. It has a huge library, and it's all divided by level. So... Uh, you can choose to start from level A1, for example, which is the easiest, up, up until uh, C2, which is the hardest. So you can start at your level and you will be presented with texts, with audios, and you can um, read those texts and you can click on words to find the, uh, the translation uh, and also some explanations about that. So you slowly build your vocabulary and uh, you get, you know, used to the language while reading, while listening. And I find it very effective.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. But there is also, I'm thinking about those stories that Ollie Richards wrote. For example, you have, let's say I'm learning Italian and you have the text, you know, in like two different languages that are like parallel texts, you know, they have the Italian one and then English next to it or any other language. What do you think of that? Would that make a good example?
1: That's a perfect example. I'm an avid reader of graded readers.
0: Uh, I've always been
1: one. Yeah, I think that when you're leaving the textbooks, uh, in a way, you you are looking for content, actual content that you can enjoy because the input doesn't have to be only comprehensible, but it also has to be interesting and compelling. Enjoyable. Exactly. Mm. So uh, maybe... After reading those textbooks, you are at a level where you cannot, uh, you know, enjoy reading actual texts on the internet. For example, newspaper articles or mm-hmm. whatever. So you need some content that is, you know, at your level. And those graded readers do just that. So, for example, you can have uh, a book uh, about, you know, the the works of art of literature, Russian literature or English literature or whatever. At B2 or B1 mm-hmm. level and with audio, and you can read and you can listen and you can learn your words. You can practice saying those uh, pages out loud. Uh, so you learn uh, literature, but you also learn the language. Ali Richards, you mentioned the, uh, you mentioned Ali. He basically changed the business for good mm-hmm. with his story learning method which is a method to acquire new languages based on stories, which is something that I absolutely approve. Uh, we are born to learn uh, through stories. That's just how we are uh, wired. And uh, applying that to language learning is, you know, gold. And so I can highly recommend Ollie uh, Richard books uh, and methods uh, to to learn. In particular, Ollie's books are short stories. Mm-hmm. So you have one book with maybe 10 short stories, so that keeps your attention high uh, at all time, and that keeps you intrigued. That's amazing. But I think we
0: have another example closer to home that we could uh, talk about.
1: Yeah, basically the whole network of the easy languages <laughs> is built on comprehensible input. And we might not even think about that, but the fact that our videos, uh, they are released with two sets of subtitles. So the target language and English. It's just a way to make the input comprehensible. So street interviews are possibly the hardest language content that you can use because it's native language, so it's C2 language, Mm -hmm. but it's a language that is actually spoken informally, colloquially. Mm -hmm. So that's C2+. And possibly it's going to be too hard for people to learn from that unless you add some sort of method to make it comprehensible. So for our videos, that is the subtitles in English, and for our podcast, Mm -hmm. that is the full transcription with the interactive translation uh, on the side. So that makes it comprehensible for everyone, for all of our
0: students. That is wonderful. And a lot of people have been learning with us (laughs) in different languages, and we are very happy to have them with us and support our projects. Um, I really love that. Um, But I would love to know how do we you know, put this into practice or, you know, into really actionable tips, actually.
1: This is this is where I strongly recommend listeners to, uh, you know, become members and support our communities uh, because, you know, having the perks that we offer next to our videos or next to our podcast is actually a huge plus. Uh, If you just watch the video with the subtitles at normal speed, you will have to probably press pause every now and then, then go back a few seconds, uh, re-listen to what you've uh, heard and see if you heard it right, what's the pronunciation. But instead, most channels offer, as a bonus for the supporters, they offer, I don't know, slow audio, the transcription of the full episode... Or maybe some channels uh, also offer exercises. Definitely.
0: And it uh, really helps and support your learning journey. Um, yeah, but I would love to talk about more incomprehensible input, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've talked a
1: lot about comprehensible input. So what about incomprehensible input? For example, you have always told me that um, when you start learning a new language, you start by listening to music to songs in that language or watching TV in that language, even if you understand very uh, little. So
0: how, how does it work and is it useful or not? Honestly, the first thing I'd like to say is that, you know, before this episode, I did a little research, you know, to be able to really see if I'm the only crazy one. <laughs> or, um, and actually, I, I watched a, a video, I'm, maybe you know this guy, since you learn Japanese, is he's called Matt, and his channel is Matt versus Japan. Um, and he made a video actually four years ago, uh, in, like, um, that is called Does Input Have to Be Comprehensible? And I've feel like he's summarizing just wonderfully and perfectly what I think of the situation. Um, so I really would add that on the show notes and invite you to watch it. But to answer your question about the lyrics and the music, um, you said it yourself at the beginning. I mean, I'm sure Crashin, like, I mean, totally agrees with that. And he says it himself. The whole experience of communicating with others go through not only, you know, the words and things we understand or not, but I feel like also, you know, you can use gesture, you can use other means, you know, to communicate and convey your feelings, your emotions, your ideas, etc. And um, in that sense, um, when I start learning a language, since it's a whole system, right, there is a culture behind, there is a a lot of, you said it yourself, you agree with that, you know, like kind of theater thing, you want to mimic people. There are so many things I need to soak myself in, to immerse completely in, so that I can have the feel of the language that goes beyond the words, you know, that like listen to music like that or any other things is fine. And it also kind of helped me practice the fact that I don't need to understand everything. I feel like when I was studying in school, like any uh, language, uh, I feel like this is the problem that a lot of people have. They fight with themselves because they want to understand everything. We feel like we want to master quickly the language, speak as well. Like, I mean, very well, like we do in our own native language. I mean, when we do. (laughs) And... And and this is something that I really find interesting. When you listen to the music, I just do it. And so how does it work? I feel like my brain recognizes a few little words that I know or starts separating the words. Even though I don't know the structure of sentences, how it works, I just need naturally have the intuition. I feel like my brain is doing the work in the background that is separating things, separating sounds. And I feel comfortable with that. And when I feel comfortable, I start repeating. And naturally, after a few repetition, because I do that often, I feel like, oh, I recognize this word. It might be able, like, it means this or that. So I do exactly what Crashin says, but instead of doing, like, 80-20, I do a 30-70. <laughs> and I feel like doing it a lot, I have more, you know, possibility to listen and do those, you know, the the repetition thing that we talk about that helps a lot. So I feel like I'm not going against what he's saying but I'm just doing it at a different scale and this is where the challenge is interesting for me and it doesn't mean that I'm able to understand that or that I'm able I'm like a superman or whatever or superwoman just like This is where I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable not understanding. I feel comfortable trying to do like a child, being surrounded by so many sounds, so many, you know, images, so many emotions, so many things. And I feel like I become another person and I'm in there and I'm playing the game, you know.
1: What about you? You know that we are we learn differently in this uh, case. I would I wouldn't do that. I don't like doing that. I like listening without understanding only when I want to see if the language is for me or not. If I like the sound of the language to decide if I want to learn it or not. Uh, But having said that, it doesn't mean that your method uh, or listening to incomprehensible input doesn't help at all. It has its pros, actually. Even if you don't understand most of it, uh, you are basically getting uh, exposure um, to that language and you are basically getting yourself accustomed to listening to those new sounds or even the melody or the prosody of that language. So... Uh, then when you uh, go uh, more actively learning the language, you have sort of an advantage. And in a way, this is also a natural method for language acquisition because uh, kids have to start from somewhere and when when they are uh, very small, they don't understand basically anything and they still learn because they uh, uh, they learn everything else. They learn the sounds. They learn the melody, and then it's easier for them to understand even the single part,
0: yes, I do agree with you, and we spoke a lot about the listening because you asked me the question about the music, but there is also the part um like about the reading you said uh for example in in Mandarin, when my Mandarin was really, really poor still, I still um put a pop up dictionary on my Google, and I would go in the newspaper, which was really high level for me, and I would just go through all those you know, you could read, actually, you put your, your, um, your mouse on top of a word or a character, I mean, and then you see the kind of uh, explanation and translation, but it was like, really kind of separate. But I feel like the fact that I was reading in context, and I wanted to know what's going on in the country, you know, like in the news and everything, I would get maybe in the beginning 1%, 2%. But I felt like while doing that often, just with content that I liked, or because I was interested in knowing what was going on, I felt like my brain was getting faster, some structures, and I would be like, oh, yes, I know this. Or even when the teacher was explaining them in school, they will be like, "Hmm, where did you see that? I'm like, I think it was on the internet. (laughs) So yeah, that's how it works.
1: That's interesting, Rita. Uh, Our time is up here, but we are going to keep talking about this because I just found out that Easy Languages have released a video in a new language. And this language is an artificial language, Mm. the most popular artificial language in the world, Esperanto. And we have strong feelings about this language (laughs) but i've watched that video and i can't wait to share my uh, opinions my comments on that video in our after show we'll do the same and share my two cents too so see you later i'll talk to you next week
0: bye